Good morning. Thank you so much for the uh, the introduction. I don't always wake up every day feeling like I'm ready to die for Christ. Um, but uh, by His grace, if He ever calls us to do it, we want to pray that uh, we honor God in that moment and every moment up until then. So um, this morning we are going to be... I'm gonna, one of these over. So I've got too much stuff here. Thanks, thanks, brother. Okay, there we are. And um, so this morning we're going to be speaking on a uh, topic. They've, they've asked me to to kind of share from the words. I'm really excited to do uh, with you guys and and to share on a topic that we really don't probably hear very much about, and that's um, persecution and martyrdom um, for Christ. And that's, um, in much of the world, that's just an assumed part of Christianity. Uh, when, a, when God calls a man to himself, he calls him to die, as, uh, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. And, um, and so, um, this is a weighty topic, and, um, and I, I just ask that, uh, that that God would give me grace and uh, as, as we're speaking, uh, as I'm speaking uh, today. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, uh, we'll jump into the Word. So, Father, uh, thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for um, the beautiful weather. Thank you for these uh, dear brothers and sisters that uh, have blessed uh, my, my family so much, God. And thank you for the opportunity I have to just share from your word. God, I ask that you would um, uh, that you would touch my mouth and that I would be able to speak your words, Lord, um, that my words would drive your words deep into our hearts um, uh, today. And um, pray this in the name of your Son, the crucified, the resurrected Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Matthew, the New Testament author, was killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets of Alexandria, Egypt. Luke was hanged on a tree in Greece. James the Just, Jesus' younger half-brother, was thrown from the top of the temple over 100 feet and then beaten with clubs because that didn't kill him. Jude, his other half-brother, was killed with arrows. James the Greater was beheaded at Jerusalem. Bartholomew was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. The Apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by Emperor Nero in Rome. The Apostle John was the only apostle, the only leader of the early church not to die a martyr's death. And that's not because they didn't try. They actually put him in a boiling vat of oil uh, and he wouldn't die. Uh, so they exiled him to Patmos, where he penned the book of Revelation, and uh, he died as an old man um, after that. Our faith is a bloody faith. It was founded by a man who was crucified. Every leader of the early church died a death because of their faith because they would not renounce their faith in Christ and they were executed because of it, except for John. And that brings us to our text today. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through uh, 84. And we're going to be looking at the first of, after Christ, the first of these martyrs. Let me do a little bit work to catch us up to where we're at in Acts. Uh, Jesus Christ was, was crucified until he died. 
He was laid in the tomb. God the Father rose him from the dead so that whoever would have faith in the name of Christ would receive, would receive forgiveness of their sins, would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus spends about 40 days with his disciples uh, instructing them, opening their minds to understand the scriptures, to understand the Old Testament. He's seen by, uh, by many people, over 500 people at one time, we're told. Um, and all the while, after his, after his resurrection, Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, he's giving them little bits of information along the way, that, okay, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you till the end of the age. Go, preach the gospel to the whole creation. And in Acts chapter 1, his, his disciples, you know, the disciples had this idea the whole time that Jesus is, he's setting up this earthly kingdom through Israel. And, and that just keeps getting, they keep getting frustrated and disappointed because that's not what Christ came for was to set up that earthly kingdom and so in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 the disciples ask okay Jesus you know you really threw us off with that death and resurrection thing but like we're uh, I got that now okay now is it time for you to set up uh, the earthly kingdom of Israel and Jesus says don't worry about that which is helpful for me because I'm not going to worry about that right now Um, don't worry about that but what what I want you to know is that you, uh, after the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, you will be my witnesses, martyreo, my witnesses, the root word of martyr, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Until then, I want you to go, and there's a, there's a room, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they go, they wait, they're in a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit fills this room, and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter preaches uh, the, the sermon at Pentecost, and thousands of people come into the church. They dedicate themselves to the, to the, to the apostles' teaching and to breaking bread together and to fellowship uh, and, they, and, they, and to sharing all things together. And the church in Jerusalem continues to expand. It just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger within Jerusalem and all the while increasing, you know, with the numbers that increase, the opposition from the religious leaders increases as well. So at one point where uh, one of the apostles is preaching and, um, and they throw him in jail for preaching and then try to have a council to try to figure out how to get rid of these guys. And then one of them taps one of the other guys on the shoulder and says, they're out preaching again. And they're like, What? How did that happen? Because an angel came and opened the door and said, go preach some more. And so they went and preached some more. And there's just unstoppable. Uh, Gamaliel, the Jewish leader, at one point, they, they are trying, these religious leaders are trying to figure out, what are we going to do? How are we going to stop this? Um, and Gamaliel says, you know, we've had some of these religious, uh, these religious uh, cults or sects come up within, you know, within years past and all of them just fizzled out. So, you know, why don't you, just guys, why don't you guys just leave it alone? Because if it's not of God, it's just going to fizzle out anyway. But if it's of God, then there's, then there's no way you can stop it. And you may be even found opposing God. Um, church continues to grow some more. Uh, they come up with an issue where uh, it starts getting into the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, not just the Hebrew-speaking Jews, into their realm. And there's some issues with who gets food and who doesn't get food as they're trying to provide for everybody. And the apostles say, look, we need to be focusing on prayer and on the word. So why don't you guys select some people to oversee, to oversee this, uh, this, this ministry so that we can pray and, and, uh, and be ministers of the word. And so they select Stephen uh, as one of these seven men. And, uh, and Stephen, you know, he's, he, as he hands out the soup in the soup kitchen, he's proclaiming the gospel powerfully. And he experiences uh, uh, some issues with that as well. They, they get, 
him, uh, they get a council together and set up false witnesses against him and say he's teaching against God, he's teaching against Moses, he's teaching against the temple. And um, I said, okay, what do you have to say for yourself? And then Stephen goes into this amazing sermon on uh, just a history of Israel and how every single time God sends them a prophet and every single time God sends them someone, they persecute them. He even says at one point, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Like not just, you know, let's list all the ones you didn't. It, it would be easier to list the ones that you did not persecute. Um, and, uh, and that catches us up to, he, he preaches this sermon, ends with you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And that gets us to where our text is going to start today. So if you would, let's read through uh, Acts 7.54 through 8.1. And, um, and we'll also uh, tag on uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 31, which is a, um, a bookend for this section of the book of Acts. And so we'll see kind of what the long-term effect of uh, our section is going to be. So let's read. This is, this is God's word. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We'll jump over to Acts 9.31 to see kind of the overall impact of this period of the church's history. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Often we hear about the, uh, the problem of suffering, the problem of evil. And that is many times a great barrier for even for, for unbelievers or even at times for believers. And we look at the evil and the suffering that occurs to people who seemingly don't deserve what they are getting. And, uh, and, and we say, how could, how could God do this? And um, I just want to help us reorient our thinking this morning that God uses Suffering. God uses persecution. God uses that which is evil and exploits it and turns it against itself for good. And so, in, in a weird way, really, suffering is a solution in, in God's economy because nothing is ever wasted by God. And so, um, I want to take a look through, um, just kind of go... Uh, verse by verse through this section and, and pull some things out of it and make some observations uh, along the way. Um, um, so in verse uh, 54 where we're starting off this section of Stephen's uh, martyr, his martyrdom. Um, so now when they heard 
these things. And these things is obviously the sermon that Stephen had just preached right before that. And so where he had said, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, you crucified the Messiah. What do you have to say for yourself? Basically, Acts 2, there was actually a very similar sermon to that. Um, and there was a very different reaction uh, to that. And, and they, they were pricked in their hearts and they said, um, brothers, what shall we do to be saved? And that should be the reaction, but it, but it wasn't. It was a reaction of rage, of, of anger, of unbridled anger and hatred of these, of these disciples. But he, um, so... Uh, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I mean, that doesn't re- really need a whole lot of cultural context to figure out that they were angry. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, um, throughout the book of Acts, in these, in these last couple chapters, Stephen is described as full of the Spirit and of wisdom, full of grace and power. Talks about his, his opponents in relation to him. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And his face was like the face of an angel. So Luke, the author of, of the book of Acts, really goes out of his way to show that, that Stephen is not foolish. Whatever you say about Stephen, he is not acting in a rash manner here. Um, you know, we... Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard either directly or indirectly uh, somehow that, uh, that, that what you are doing, the ideas that you are espousing to go, into the na- to, to, go to places that don't want Jesus and try, and try to give them Jesus, that that's foolish. Um, and it gives me great comfort uh, to see the example of Stephen that he was a man that was, in, he was not just full of the Holy Spirit but full of wisdom. And that wisdom and the, that, that Holy Spirit influence got him martyred. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, you've heard the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that, that, is, that is true, but could it not also be true that God loves you very much and maybe he has a wonderful plan for your death? I think in the case of Stephen, you could say yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit may at times um, prompt believers to flee or prompt believers to, to engage. We see Jesus doing both and um, at times he, he you know, escapes the persecution. At times he hits it fit head on. And, um, and really the Holy Spirit can, can, can prompt either way, but the determining factor has to be uh, don't act in fear. Don't act in fear. Um, don't, don't act in a way that fear is your master, that man is your God, but that you fear the Lord and that you obey Christ. And so I think we see that uh, very clearly in, um, in Stephen here. And, and we had, a, um, had a, an instructor. His name was Vern Sturck. Uh, he was a missionary to Chiapas, Mexico. A highly, highly persecuted area for Christians to to live, um, and for missionaries to go in southern Mexico. It's very dark. Um, and one thing that he said that really stuck with me: it was a girl in our class um, that was um, she was she was experiencing fear, um, and uh, she's a very, very sweet girl, and she was experiencing fear because part of our training program over the last two years was that we that we um, made. Uh, four-day trips once a month into northern Mexico to do to do ministry uh, in small farming villages, and um, and northern Mexico is not a safe place to be by any stretch of the imagination. Traveling through northern Mexico and all of that, and so she was experiencing fear, and and um, and as as we all were, but uh, Vern very wisely uh, and and helpfully said to us, "It's not it's not a sin to be afraid." It's just a sin to disobey God because you're afraid. And that's very powerful to me, and I think that really well summarizes this. So, so Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
So he gives this true testimony of Christ. God gives him a vision um, of Christ. He gives him a, the grace. And this is something we find a lot throughout. If, if, you, if you read this, the stories of martyrs, um, and, uh, you, you'll, you'll see a common theme of God giving grace, a special kind of grace right at the moment. Um, and uh, Corey Tsen Boom has this, um, has this great... Uh, well, this is, yeah, there it is. Um, you know the story of Corey uh, Tin Boom. She, after um, her her experiences of persecution, she uh, she traveled widely and spoke. And um, there is a time that she was speaking in a small African village that had been uh, very severely persecuted for their faith, and and they just just a look of of downtrodden. There were um, is, Islamic militants. Uh, groups that were coming and they were systematically killing the Christians in this village and, and they met for church on that Sunday and were just, just full of fear. And, uh, and, and, and so Corey told them a story from her childhood that she, she had said to her, to her father, Daddy, when I, when I get older, I don't know if I'll be able to, to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. I mean, like, what little girl? first of all, says that, you know, <laughs> like, so, well, if my little girl said that, I'd like break down, you know, but she says this uh, to, her, to her father, and he says, Corey, when I give, when, when you're going to go on the train and go from one city to the next, w- do I give the money to you for the, for the ticket? Do I give the money to you for the ticket three weeks in advance? No. When do I give the money to you? Well, right before I get on the train. He says, so it is with God um, in, in the suffering and the persecution and, and the martyrdom that, 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 you know, can I say honestly right now that I could walk out that door and go die for Christ? I hope so. But I do know that when the moment comes that God will empower those who he calls to this, uh, to this calling, and it really is a calling, uh, and he will empower them with the grace. And so we see that in Stephen here with this vision that God gives him, the face of an angel uh, it says, and so you just see that very tangible experience of, of a, a miraculous experience of God's grace. Um, but their reaction to this true testimony, so he says, Jesus is next to God. Jesus is standing. That's different. Jesus, we usually think of Jesus as sitting. Um, when, you know, he sat down in authority saying it's finished, but there are moments when Jesus stands in heaven apparently. And, uh, and, and this was one of them. He stands in approval and in sovereign control over the, the martyrdom of Stephen. Um, and their reaction, very unlike the Acts 2 reaction, they plug their ears and they scream and they run at him and they cast him out of town and they stone him. Uh, very, very different. There was a refusal to hear, the plugging of the ears. Very, uh, it's a very great picture um, they they plug their ears, they rush him. Um, and and I have to ask myself, these people are very sincere, right? They're very sincere about their faith. They think that the apostles are, are, are blaspheming. They think that Stephen is blaspheming. And so in their sincerity, ironically, they actually end up fighting against the God they claim to serve, just like Gamaliel said that they would. Um, and, and, and that line that Stephen just said a couple verses earlier, which of the prophets didn't your fathers persecute? Kind of, it's coming back because they're just falling in the same pattern again. And their refusal and their hard-heartedness. Um, and so it's, we can think, there, are, there is a way to think you are serving God that is actually working against God. And I don't want to go too far into that, but just to, to, to realize that sincerity um, in any belief system, whether it's um, Judaism or, or Islam or Hinduism uh, or Buddhism or any of the other isms or, or uh, uh, agnosticism or atheism, that the sincerity doesn't necessarily do a whole lot. Uh, because as we see here, you can sincerely be wrong and sincerely be an enemy of Christ. Uh, and so it is so important. That is why we go. That is why we bring the gospel with us as we go. 
is because, yes, people are sincere, absolutely. And they sincerely need Jesus. Um, and, and, and there is no right standing with God apart from faith in Christ. And we believe that uh, to our core. Um, I don't know where I point this. There it is. All right. Um, so they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. So this is from, uh, this is kind of the, the procedure for stoning uh, in, in the first century. This is a reading from the Mishnah. Uh, this is, so there's a pit twice the man's height. The man is shoved down into the pit so that he falls head first. They turn him over. If he's still alive, they take a large boulder and drop it on his chest to crush him. And if he survives that, then everybody gets to get in on it and, and throw stones, large stones. And we're not talking pebbles, you know, we're not going to do that. Um, and so, I don't know, this kind of seems like a mob type of situation here in our passage. Maybe they did it according to, to this, maybe they didn't, I don't, I'm not really quite sure. But if they did do it like this, then apparently Stephen got through the first couple of stages because he's standing um, and he falls to his knees and then he dies. So, I uh, just so thought that was... To, to, to just kind of help us uh, understand kind of the context of, of what we're talking about. And this is still pretty uh, a common thing that, that believers, especially in the Middle East, um, many believers will, will suffer execution, persecution this way. They do it a little bit differently. They'll bury them in sand up to their waist and, uh, and then from there throw the stones. And, um, uh, and it's for the sake of Christ. Um, and Paul... Or, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not Paul, it's Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. I understand you guys have been in, uh, in Galatians. And so this is our first introduction to this man. To this man, Saul, who is going to have a name change uh, and become Paul. The Apostle Paul. And this is our first experience of him. And he is young and hateful and law-abiding and Christian persecuting and Jesus uh, just disgusted by Jesus. And this is Saul, and he is the author of the book you guys are in right now. Um, And so uh, this is just an amazing testimony uh, just to see the transformation that that takes place when when the Holy Spirit comes and when Jesus saves a man uh, and what can happen. And so... um, but we'll get to Saul a little bit later. So, um, Then we come to the prayers of Stephen in verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So there's two, there's two prayers that, that Stephen prays. Um, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and don't hold this sin against them. And that should kind of bring up in our minds, wait, somebody else said that, right? Somebody else prayed those two prayers right before he was executed. Jesus, on the cross, prayed two prayers almost identical to what, to what Stephen is praying here. And so we... Um, and so Stephen is set up as the model. Jesus did it. Stephen did it. And so if you go through persecution, if you go through martyrdom, if you're forced to go through suffering in your Christian walk for the sake of Christ, here is how you react. Here are, here, he is the prototype. The first prayer, a prayer of submission to God's will. A prayer of submission to God and of dependence on Christ. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus was standing and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Jesus was standing ready to receive the spirit of, of Stephen. Um, and, and so he's not angry at Jesus. He's not angry at God the Father for what he's going through. Um, his prayer is a prayer of, of submission to the will of God. Um, and it is so easy for us when we go through suffering, when we go through difficulties and issues to point the finger at God and say, you did this to me. Why did you do this to me? Why are you doing this? 
And the model of Stephen is to, is to humbly submit, humbly say, God, this is, this is your will, and Jesus, receive my spirit. And total dependence, to, not, not anger, not bitterness, but total dependence on Christ. Um, so that's the first thing, total dependence on Christ. The second prayer, uh, forgive them. Um, say it exactly. Um, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And this is a Christian response. This is, this is, other religions can't, like you can't respond that way when people are stoning you to death. You, you have to respond in a way that is angry or you have to respond in a way that's, well, this is just my fate. But only Christians, because of the uniqueness of the cross, and the uniqueness of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, only Christians can react to suffering in this way that we could look the person in the eye who is throwing a boulder at our face and say, and say, God, don't hold this against them, please. Please save this man. And that is Stephen's reaction. Um, and that is such a, he has a heart of compassion and forgiveness uh, for those who are, who are persecuting him in the moment. Uh, and that is such a God-given uh, Holy Spirit thing because that's not inside of us to do that. That's not a human reaction, a normal human reaction. So um, he has the power of the Holy Spirit uh, behind that. And um, Matthew 10, let me see if I have it here. Yep, Matthew ten eighteen. if I have it somewhere. Nope, don't. Oh yeah, I do. There it is. All right. Uh, Matthew ten eighteen. You don't have to turn there. I hear some of you turn there. That's all right. Um, the, the New Living Translation does a really great job, I think, in this section. He says, uh, you, Jesus is talking to his disciples, explaining what their ministry is going to look like. And he says, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. And so far from... Uh, from this persecution, far from being dragged before courts and, and that being seen as a bad thing, Jesus says, this is your opportunity. And let me tell you, Jesus looks so much more beautiful when there's no other reason that you should be reacting in a positive way. Like when there's no earthly reason that, that, that we should be responding in a way that is favorable and, and filled with joy, that makes Jesus look great. And so it's, it's, it's easier, you know, when you say, well, I've got, my, um, I've got my retirement to fall back on or I've got my, um, my friends to fall back on. But when everything is stripped away and you still have the joy, that shows that, you're, that you are filled with joy by something that is not of this world. You are filled with joy by something that is supernatural. You're filled with joy by Christ. And, um, and that is, and we see that so clearly uh, in Stephen as he's praying that God would forgive these men for what they're doing. And God does, right? At least for one of them. God saves Saul. God answers the prayer of Stephen and saves Saul. Um, and I think that's so, um, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, and, uh, and when he said this, he fell asleep. And Paul and, and Saul, I keep doing it, and Saul approved of his execution. Yeah, it's it's funny when it's when it doesn't say uh, and when he said this he died or or something similar to that. He says he fell asleep. And that's something that, that the New Testament authors do over and over again. They they call death falling asleep. There's such a confidence in the resurrection. There's such a confidence that this is not death. This is not death, truly death. This is just falling asleep. Um, it was a dear brother in our church, uh, Riverside Community Churches, where I, I, uh, I, I've been a member there for the last seven years, I think, about seven years. Um, and, uh, and one of the dear brothers in our church died of, uh, I believe it was cancer. And, um, and, but he had this attitude of, of, I'm just waiting to go be with Jesus. This is hard and it hurts right now, but I can't wait to see Jesus. And it was a really tough time for our congregation because we loved this brother. We made great lamentation over him. 
as, as, as Luke would say, but um, this is a, a chorus from a song I wrote right after that, um, just in his attitude uh, toward, uh, toward what he was about to go through. His name was Dieter. Says, Dieter didn't die. No, he didn't die. When he closed his eyes, it was like he was blinking. Die? No, he didn't die. Like Jesus said, this man is just sleeping. Die, Dieter didn't die. When he closed his eyes, he was only blinking. Die, no, he didn't die. When his old heart stopped, his new heart was beating. And that, I I hope, captures the attitude of the New Testament authors in the death of a believer. Death is like a toothless Doberman. A lot of bark, you know? It just kind of slobbers on you. Uh, if, you're, if you are a believer, because we will get new bodies. If they burn these bodies, we will get new bodies. It doesn't matter if we get eaten by cannibals or if we get eaten by worms. We are going to get new bodies. And, and our spirits will be re, re, reunited with our bodies and we will be resurrected. And so it doesn't matter. Um, is it hard? Is it painful? Yes. We're going to get to the section in just a second. They made great lamentation over him. Totally appropriate. Death is awful. God hates death. But God will use death. God turns death against itself. And in the death of his son, he brought life for all. So we don't need to fear death. You don't fear going to sleep, right? You don't need to fear death. The next section here talks about goes from the individual martyrdom of Stephen and goes to the broader context of the persecution of the church in verses 1 through 3. Um, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here's what happens. Here's what happened in this one instance when persecution hit the church is this, this religion was growing, uh, was growing within the city of Jerusalem. Which I don't have like a pointer on here, right? No, it's all right. You see Jerusalem right there? It's one of the dots. It's a, yeah? Very right top. There it is. There's Jerusalem. All right. Um, and so it's growing, it's growing, but Acts 1.8 is still there. Acts 1.8 is still in the background. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Okay, guys, go do it. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and Jesus leaves. And they just keep, they're in Jerusalem. They're doing what they know to do. Um, and, and Jesus, through the persecution of his church, scatters. He spreads to where at the end of the section in 931, it says the gospel was in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And so it goes from this one city to an entire, to covering three regions. Um, Roughly, I think, 160 miles uh, by 60 miles, or I got that wrong. It's 100 and something miles. 140 by by about 60 miles. Um, Roughly. And, uh, and so, and he spreads the gospel. People are brought life. People are brought um, new life and salvation through persecution. So God flips it on its head. Um, so these, these devout Jewish people are trying to put out the fire, but they don't realize it's like a grease fire. And if you dump water on it, it's just going to go even further. And so that's what happens. Um, They dump water on the grease fire and it spreads. Um, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Like I said, I think 1 Thessalonians 4.13 puts it really well. It says, Paul talking to the Thessalonians about believers, again, who are asleep. Um, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And so the mourning of a Christian is different. When a believer dies, it's a different kind of mourning. 
It's a hopeful morning. It's not morning without hope. Um, in verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. And different translations say he began to destroy uh, the King James. I love King James. Every once in a while, I love King James. He made havoc of the church. Um, systematically, house after house, dragged brothers and sisters, believers out, men and women, and committed them to prison. And we get a, a little bit better idea, actually, of, of everything else that was going on during this time through some of his some of the other uh, sections of scripture, like in Acts 26, says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And in Galatians, the book that you guys are in right now, says, uh, he tells the Galatians, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This was not senseless, mindless persecution. It was systematic. He was house after house, casting my vote against them in fury. And how is a, a burgeoning uh, religious movement supposed to handle that when the majority systematically tries to exterminate you? Doesn't that sound a lot like what's going on in the Middle East right now? What's going on in, in uh, Pakistan, in Iraq, in North Korea, in Somalia? Let's see here. So, a lot of times we think that persecution of Christians is happening just kind of, um, you know, it was a thing that happened back in the day. Um, yeah, that was really awful, but now we live in a civilized world and everybody can get along and we're all, you know, we're all tolerant of each other, right? Um, and that's actually the, the opposite of the truth. Um, <laughs> In from, so from the time of Jesus Christ's death in AD 33 to 1914, there was an estimated 24 million Christians martyred, okay? So up until uh, roughly the last 100 years, um, there, were, there were 24 million Christians martyred. From the time of the last 100 years, or 1914 to, to the year 2000, there have been 45 million Christians martyred. And so, far from going down in number, the number of martyrdoms since all other centuries combined, the last hundred years has been about almost twice that, twice as many as all other centuries combined in the persecution of Christians. So this isn't something that is in the past. And you might be sitting in your seat like, Joel, why are you, why are you talking about this? You know, we are in... Caneland. We are in the Chicagoland area. Like, probably somebody's not going to walk through the door with an AK-47 and try to kill us all for our faith. Like, that's just not probably what's going to happen. Why are you talking about this? Well, it's because our brothers and sisters are experiencing it, for one. And second, we don't generally have a category for suffering. We've, we've lived in such, um, in such ease, relatively speaking, um, and lifestyle and, and, and acceptance of our faith. And we don't really have a category for suffering. Um, and so this is important. And, be, and it, it's arguably more important for us to study this than it would be for, uh, for those who are experiencing because th- they understand it. Like, yeah, we, we, persecution happens and we're going to go be with Jesus and it's going to be okay. Um, but for us, I think it's more important that we, that we kind of dig in, dive in uh, to this. Um, Mosul, Iraq, uh, maybe a name that you guys have heard in the news. Uh, this is June of, t- of 2014. An estimated 35,000 Christians, starting in June, were told, convert, leave, or die. This is by the Islamic group that can't figure out what their name is. Um, and all but a few have left their homes. So 35,000 Christians um, kicked out of this city. 
um, where there have been Christians since like at least the fourth century. Those fleeing uh, were robbed of everything but the clothes on their backs at the ISIS checkpoints um, along the way. And I mean, there's, there's much more. There's more updated news than that probably. Um, but this is happening now. This is happening today to our brothers and sisters. There is an average, this is a, this is a, um, a, I would say a modest estimate. There's an average of 180 Christians killed each month because of their faith in Jesus. Not, you know, they died in an automobile accident or something like that. But, you know, are you a believer in Jesus? Yes, I am. And they kill you. 180 each, each month. North Korea, for instance, has been responsible for the worst persecution of Christians over the last 12 years. Uh, 12 years in a row. Open Doors International um, is a, a, an organization that kind of keeps statistics like this. And um, an estimated, right now today, there is an estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians in prison camps because of their, in North Korea because of their faith in Christ. In Somalia, for instance, if you are found to be a believer, a convert from Islam, it's, it's likely that you may be uh, executed on the spot. Or at least that process will ha- start happening right away. In some areas, there, for a new believer, the life expectancy is around 40 days. For new believers, and this is particularly in the Middle East. And today... Christians are the highest persecuted religious community on the earth. So if you want to know where, okay, where are you getting this from, Voice of the Martyrs uh, is an organization that, that keeps statistics like this. Uh, Open Doors International uh, would be another one. Uh, and those, those two, and then um, various news sources, BBC, Al Jazeera. Um, and so this is, this is the reality for our brothers and sisters. Um, But those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And the church in these three regions was being built up and they had peace and comfort from the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied. And so God uses this. God used this in the early church. God uses this in the church today. And God uses this in our sufferings as well. God uses it not in just the spread of the gospel uh, geographically, but also in the spread of the gospel into the deeper, darker regions of our own hearts. God uses suffering to spread the gospel. God exploits evil. Genesis uh, fifty twenty is a verse that's very... Um, hopefully is well known to us. If not, memorize it today. It's a good one. Um, and uh, in Genesis fifty twenty, is, you know, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good so that many people could be kept alive today as they are. Um, and so, and that's Joseph's talking to his brothers, that you guys meant to put me in enslavement for evil purposes, but God meant to use it for good. And that applies to every evil thing. That's not like, that's not just that one incident that Jesus was like, okay, I've got my finger on that one. But that's everything. The Jews' rejection and uh, crucifixion of the Messiah brought salvation to all. The stoning of Stephen and the ensuing persecution, God used it to multiply the church. And God uses the suffering in our lives as well. So, um, you know, I've said a lot. You've heard a lot. What is the reaction supposed to be? What are, how are we supposed to react to this type of information? Um, and there are there's several ways I can think of. One um, would be obey Christ, not your fears. If God is asking you to do something, don't disobey. Obey Christ, not your fears. Don't be surprised by suffering. 
Like this should not be a surprise for us when we suffer. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised when you suffer, when things go wrong, when God maybe even looks like he's intentionally putting something hard in your life because God uses that. That's his pattern as he uses suffering and evil and hard things to grow us in Christ's likeness and to spread his gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And the third, I would say, would be uh, remember our persecuted brothers and sisters. Um, we are not alone uh, uh, on this planet. And um, our nationality uh, should, should not separate us in our thoughts and our prayers from our brothers and sisters who live in different nations and have different skin colors and different cultures. Um, that family tie uh, is, is stronger than any other tie that we have. And so to remember, Hebrews 13, 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Um, Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for the joy that you give to be a son and a daughter of yours. God, I thank you for the example of Stephen. God, that you uh, show that even in the suffering and the persecution and the death of your saints, that your hand is in it, God, that you provide grace for it, that you are using it for good. God, and as, as Paul would say, that the sufferings of this life, they're not even in the same category. They're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that you have waiting for us. God, I ask that you would pull our eyes heavenward, that we would be those who... Um, who are so heavenly minded that we are of much earthly good, God. Um, I pray that my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, that we would be emboldened by today's message to to share our faith, God, um, to not give up um, in, in the freedom that we have in this country, Lord, to not give those things up that our brothers and sisters uh, would never have given up in persecution. And um, Lord, that we would um, that we would honor you, Jesus. I pray that you would fill us uh, with joy to be serving you in boldness today, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.